Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. On this Resurrection Sunday, I've got no surprises for you. We're, we're going to preach the Easter sermon. Is that all right? And uh, can, I, can I let you in? I, I just let you in on a little secret. And I can't hear you in A2, and I can't hear you in the chapel. But this is, this is service number five. And you definitely win for most alive group, right? If, 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 yeah, absolutely, right? Like, if anybody's understood that it's Resurrection Sunday, thank you, all right? So that uh, makes my job a lot easier. We're going to talk about Easter. We're going to talk about the resurrection. We're going to talk about Jesus, because he lived, and he died, and he rose again. Pretty much the story. Yet there's a whole lot more to it. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 20 today. John chapter 20, all four of the Gospels give us the story of Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. We're going to look at the one that John wrote. We're actually going to stand outside the tomb today, and we're going to get the perspective, just one person. We're going to see the resurrection story through, through one set of eyes. We're going to look at Mary Magdalene today. And uh, the Bible makes her account and her encounter with the risen Christ very important. And what we see is that because she was there, there were things that she learned. There were some lessons. There were some principles. We'll call them truths that she picked up there that I think not only apply to Mary's life in this resurrection story, but I think they apply to our lives as well. So what I want to do is walk through this story from John chapter 20 of Mary Magdalene's encounter with Jesus on that first Easter, and I want to look at some truths. We're going to call them empty tomb truths today, some things that we learned from standing at the empty tomb. They applied to Mary's life, and at the risk, at the risk of being overly confident, like, I really do believe that no matter who you are or what your life story or circumstance is right now, that God has something not just general, but something specific that he wants to speak to you through his word today as we look at this story. So we're going to look at these empty tomb truths. There's six of them. We're going to watch them unfold as we look through Mary's eyes outside the tomb. First Easter. Let's begin here. John chapter 20 verse 11 is where the story starts. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Seven words just seems descriptive, but it's packed with information. Let's talk about this for just a minute. I suppose the first question we need to ask is who is Mary? Because there were multiple Marys in scripture. And this is Mary Magdalene. We know this when we look at the beginning of chapter 20, which we will in just a, just a few moments. We see that it's her, it's Mary Magdalene. We're first introduced to her in Luke's gospel. Luke chapter eight, the beginning of that chapter, Luke gives us a listing of who was following Jesus, like the 12 disciples. And then he talks about that there was a group of women who were with Jesus as well. And these women would travel with them. They would uh, help to provide resources. They would help to support them during their trips in this thing. And here's what we read about this group, Luke chapter 8, verse 2. And also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Here's the first one they mentioned. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. So a couple of facts about her. We call her Mary Magdalene. Magdalene is not her last name, okay? Just, just like for the record. When we hear Mary Magdalene, it designates where she came from. 
So she was originally from a city called Magdala. Today it's called Migdal. It's on kind of the northwest coast of the Sea of Galilee. So that's where she's from. It's interesting. It says, from whom seven demons had come out. Anytime you see the word seven, the number seven in scripture, it has to do with the idea of wholeness and completeness. In this case, with something extreme, she had seven demons. Do you know what that tells us about her? (laughs) She lived a life completely controlled by evil. Demons were her companions. Satan had so gripped her life that not only did that determine how she lived for other people, it said who she was. And it's interesting when you see this, because if you think of the life of sin that she must have lived, seven demons, the shame, the guilt, the fear, the hurt, the pain, the betrayal, and yet, when we get to John chapter 20, that is not the story. When you get to John chapter 20 outside the tomb, what designates her there is not those seven demons. It's something different because she had an encounter and it changed who she was, which takes us to this first kind of truth from an empty tomb. Empty tomb truth number one, you are not who you used to be. (laughs) Anybody thankful for that? You are not who you used to be. It's important for us to think about. There's a guy whose name is Mark Farron Claude Biart. And uh, Mark um, lived in the city of Rome until about seven years ago when he was charged with alleged drug trafficking and said, I'm out of here, and ran for, for his life. He, he fled. He spent the last seven years on the run until just recently when they captured him and his wife 5,000 miles from Rome in the Dominican Republic. And it's kind of this really interesting story of kind of you know, intrigue and espionage and all these kind of things. There's been a hunt for this guy all this time that he's been hiding out, kind of living in luxury in the Dominican Republic. What finally gave him away, how they finally caught him, was he and his wife had started a YouTube channel. (laughs) They were reviewing Italian cooking for some reason. Now, he was smart enough to know, don't put your face on camera. So he never showed his face, but he showed his hands, showed his arms, and at some point showed some of his tattoos, which were very distinctive. And somebody noticed, and somebody tipped off the authorities. And after kind of a pretty huge manhunt, and it involved the the, uh, authorities from 10 different countries, they captured him. So if you have a past, don't start a YouTube channel. Write that in your Bible notes today, all right? (laughs) No, what's, what's the deal, right? Your, your sins have consequences, right? And we all have a past of some kind. And it determines certain things about our lives, but it's not who you are. You are not who you used to be. And what we see in this story is the truth that for Mary Magdalene is the same truth for you and I. Jesus offers a new beginning. In your life, in your story, the things that you've experienced, when you think about your past, Jesus offers a new beginning. When I wrote this initially in my notes, I didn't write it this way. When I was putting this idea in my notes, I wrote, Jesus gives a second chance. And then I deleted that, because I need more than two. Anybody else? (laughs) I don't need just a second chance. What I need is a new beginning. 
I need a change in my life. That's the whole point of this story. That's the whole point of Good Friday. If you were with us on Friday, we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, and we read, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Jesus became sin for us so that you could know forgiveness. Let, let's, just, let's just get this out here right here. I'm, I'm convinced that probably for someone that's in this room, or you're in auditorium too, you're in the chapel, what you need more than anything right now in your life is forgiveness. Because there's things that you've been carrying, there's things from your past, things from yesterday, that have defined who you are. And what you need more than anything in your life is forgiveness. And it can be offered from Jesus Christ into your life and make it, well, let me tell you about the transformation. See, the reason Paul told us what Jesus did for us is because he had made a promise in verse 17, and he was telling you why. In verse 17, he says, this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, and a new life has begun. You can have a new beginning because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that truth is so clear when you see Mary's life. She is not who she used to be. Empty tomb truth number one. You're not who you used to be. You ready for number two? Let's go back to the story. John chapter 20, verse 11. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Why is she on the outside? Well, to understand the big picture of that, you have to go back to the beginning of the chapter. So let's go back to John chapter 20, verse 1. Let's see how Mary got outside of the tomb. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she's one of the first people to see that the stone has been moved. Someone or something has messed with the stone. Verse 2. We read, so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved. John wrote this book, and oftentimes when he talked about himself, he didn't use his name. He used like some kind of like cute little cue, like the other disciple. He's talking about himself there. So she runs to Simon Peter and John and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And if you read the rest of the story then, Peter and John, they shoot off. And they go running to the tomb to see what has happened. And they, they kind of rush inside. What's interesting, Peter and John go inside the tomb. Mary is now on the outside. Why is she on the outside? Well, in part, because she's a woman. And it would be inappropriate for her to be in there with those two men. In part, because she's insignificant. Because there was quite a distinction line in that culture and gender. So as a woman, she was on the outside. She would have been considered insignificant, irrelevant. In fact, later, Mary will tell the story that we're about to read about her encounter with Jesus. John, uh, Mark chapter 16 tells us this, that when Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. She's got good news, right? Watch what happens next. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Would you be ticked off if you're Mary? But you got to think about her life. So many things in her life, she was unimportant. She was insignificant. And even in that moment, She's pushed aside even though she is chosen to be one of the most significant and most prominent witnesses to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
which shows us something that I want you to see in this story. Number two, empty tomb truth number two, you are not who others say you are. You are not who others say you are. Mary felt unimportant. She felt inadequate. She felt insignificant. And look, that was part of the culture for her. But watch what Jesus does in this story. When Jesus chooses someone to reveal himself to, when Jesus chooses to make himself known to someone for the first time, he doesn't pick one of the apostles. When he has that first face-to-face encounter, he doesn't look for some hotshot politician or some bigwig in the church. He goes to someone whom the culture said, as a female, was insignificant and unimportant. He goes to someone who was known, whose reputation was based on her life of sin before Jesus. Jesus goes to a sinner who had been greatly oppressed to let her know, to let her be the first one to know that he had risen from the dead because Jesus comes first for the poor in spirit. Do you remember that beatitude? Jesus blesses the poor in spirit. And so many times we put attention or we put focus on different people for different things. And we need to be reminded what Jesus does, how he sees us. Jesus blesses the poor in spirit. Go ahead, read the gospels and you'll see. He elevated the status of the lowly. He found a way to look not on the outward appearance, but on our hearts. He sees so much more than what we see around us. There's a powerful truth here. You are not who others say you are. So what what makes you feel inadequate? Like if you're honest, if you think about it, is it cultural norms? Is it your status in society? Is it the things that other people have said about you, the way that they've hurt you or dismissed you? Maybe the reason you feel unimportant and insignificant Is it because of the voices in your own head? I've really noticed something lately. I've seen it in other people's lives. And if I'm honest with you, I've seen it a lot in my own life as well. That the enemy really knows how to mess with us in this way. He knows how to tell you, you don't matter. You're not important. You're never going to make a difference. Nobody really cares. You'll never measure up. You won't meet those expectations. There's nothing special about you. God can't use you. That is not the message at all that the risen Savior said to Mary at that tomb. And it's certainly not the message of God's word. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. Look at what it says. For we are God's handiwork. There, there is a, a one translation that says his workmanship. There's another translation that says, for we are God's masterpiece. That sounds nice, doesn't it? For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So the next time you feel unimportant or insignificant, you remind yourself that the risen Savior has a work for you to do. He created you with a purpose. Even before you were born, he had mapped out his call for you, and he chose and made you to be his masterpiece. Go ahead, say, I am a masterpiece. Go ahead, say it. (laughs) All right, say, say, say it again, all three rooms. I am a masterpiece. Saw a video the other day all about how they make these bad boys. 
All right, let's see. Raise, a, raise your hands, all, all three rooms. If you are a peep person, raise your hand. Like you look forward to this season to eat these things. All right, all right. And then how many of you would say they belong in the trash? Yeah, yeah. Each service, that has been a stronger, much more bitter group. That has, yes, throw them away. Get them out of here. I'm not much of a peep person, to be honest. Some people at my house are. And uh, I've watched this video. Do you know that they will make two billion of these bad boys in a year? Two billion peeps. On On a day when they're cranking them out, there's a factory in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where they make them. When they're cranking them out, they'll make 5.5 million peeps in a day. 70% of them are all sold for this weekend, right? And they end up in Easter baskets. There are peep artists who make like these scenes, these dioramas out of peeps. There is an eating competition that you can join to see how many peeps you can eat in like a certain season of time. You watch the video though, you can search for it. It's fascinating to watch how they make them. And there's, they're just pumping these guys out one after the other. Mass produce these little fellas. And that's how some of you feel about your life. That you're just like everybody else. There's nothing special or different about you. That you're just another stuck there right next to your friends. (laughs) Here's the deal. You are not a peep. (laughs) I said that in one of our services last night, and a friend of mine came up to me afterwards, and she says, I am not a peep. I am God's master peep. (laughs) It's a good word, isn't it? So the next time you feel unimportant or insignificant or inadequate, you remind yourself that you have great value and purpose because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if Jesus would choose the least among them to be the first to reveal himself to, you can be convinced that he has a purpose in store for your life. Which takes us then to kind of the third thing I want to show you. Let's go back to the story. John chapter 20, verse 11. Let's pick up from there. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. Why is she crying? As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, one at the foot. And then from there we read that they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. And I don't know where they've put him. What's interesting about this story, could you imagine looking in that tomb and there's two angels there dressed in white? You would not expect to see that. Like that would get, you just saw something supernatural. Did you notice it does not phase Mary at all? She's not like, oh, wow, look at you guys. I didn't know you were going to be here. She just goes, where is he? I'm looking for Jesus. She has a supernatural vision. Doesn't even affect her. Why is that? I think, my thought, is because she's so overwhelmed with her grief. That in that moment, she is so consumed by what she lost. As you think about it, Mary's not just some Jesus groupie. Right? She's not just some tourist in Israel. She's not, she's not some pilgrim that's there for Passover. You go back and read Luke chapter 8 and you watch. He changed her life. 
And then she and this group of people decide, we're going to follow him. We're going to go where he goes. We're going we're to live for the cause that he gives to us. We put our faith, our trust, our allegiance in him, believing that he's the hope for our people. And now he's dead. And not only is he dead, somebody stole his body. She didn't just lose a friend. She lost her leader. She lost her religion. She lost hope. And when she stands there, she's not impressed by the angels. She's just filled with grief. Which takes me to the third thing I want you to see at the empty tomb. Empty tomb truth number three. You are more than your grief. You are more than your grief. Look, grief is real. That loss, that pain, the disappointment, the frustration, and grief's powerful. Over 20 years of pastoral ministry, and can I tell you what consistently surprises me? The way I see how grief impacts people in their lives. When you lose something, it affects you in such a deep way, a way that, if you will, is normal, it's to be expected, and don't you ever let anyone minimize that grief that you're walking through, because it's real. And it hurts. There's a little church on um, Mackinac Island, a little Catholic church, St. Anne Catholic Church. A lot of people will come and visit there. It's got roots that go back to the 1600s. So when they're there, it's a place they'll check out. The other day, uh, the church administrator, this was just about a week ago, the church administrator walked into the church, and when she did, she realized something's not right here. Plants were knocked over on the floor. There were candles that had been kind of tossed around. There was damage to the building. She's like, something's, something's wrong. So they got the, the maintenance guy, and they go looking around to see what they can find. Like, they're sure somebody vandalized, broke in, something happened. And when they walk into, like, the sanctuary, they look, and there on the piano was a squirrel just looking at them. <laughs> and somehow all they can figure is that the night before, somebody coming, going in and out, that squirrel shot in there, and they got locked in the building overnight. Knocked over candles, knocked over plants. It had, it had chewed on, like, the windowsills. There was a crucifix that they had, kind of like a figure of Jesus on the cross that got knocked over and shattered. And they were able to kind of piece it back together. But the truth is, the place will never be the same. They'll fix it up. But there's little spots in that building that the people that know will walk through for decades to come. And they'll say, oh, that used to not be that way. But then the squirrel came through. And some of you are sitting there and going, Chad, that's the dumbest story I've ever heard told at an Easter service. <laughs> you might be right. Kind of a goofy, kind of silly human interest story. Until you start asking the question, what squirrels have come through your life? What are the things that have whipped through unexpected? You might call them little things. You might call them big things. What are the things that have come through? And then afterwards... You just go, this place will never be the same again. Things that move in and out of your life that then you look for decades to come and say, it used to not be like that. And then the squirrel came through. Maybe it's the death of a loved one. Maybe it was the death of a dream. Maybe that job or that relationship that just never materialized. Maybe it was the last 12 months 
Because some of you had things in the last 12 months that you planned for, you looked forward to, you thought would go one way, and then they didn't. It didn't go the way you thought. And whether you identify it as that or not, there's things that you're grieving. Because that squirrel ripped through. (laughs) And things will never be the same again. And it hurts. And it's painful. And it's real. And don't you ever let anyone minimize this. But don't miss the message of the empty tomb. See, Mary was so consumed by her grief. We'll watch this as we go through this story. Mary was so consumed by her grief that she missed for a while the bigger picture that Jesus was trying to show to her. When Jesus was talking to Martha at the funeral of Martha's brother, Lazarus, just a few chapters before in John chapter 11, I want you to see what Jesus says to her. John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die, Jesus says. Do you believe this? Here's what the resurrection shows us. The resurrection reminds us that our grief is temporary. It doesn't say it's not real. It doesn't say it doesn't matter. It doesn't say it's not painful. But what it says is it only lasts for a little while because this isn't real life. Death is a doorway into real life because Jesus is the resurrection in the life. And our hope is in him and our trust is in him. And when we put our confidence in him, we realize, well, how's Paul say it? Paul says, you don't grieve like the world who has no hope. We have hope. See, grief without hope is hopelessness. We don't have hopelessness. You have hope in your grief because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we're reminded at the empty tomb that when we face death, when it comes in fear, or when it comes in loss, it's only temporary because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. We have hope on the other side, which takes us then to the next thing I want to show you, right? So Mary's at the tomb. She goes inside, sees the angels, doesn't care, says, where have you put him? And watch what happens next. John chapter 20, verse 14. At this, Mary turned around and saw Jesus standing there but she did not realize that it was Jesus. St. Chrysostom, who was a fifth century early church father, speculated, like we don't know that this is true, but he speculated that the reason that Mary turned around was because one of the angels kind of like pointed at Jesus behind her. Because she's like, where is he? And the angel's like, look behind you. So she turns around she did not realize that it was Jesus. That makes me chuckle for some reason. The very thing she's looking for. She's on the hunt. She's searching right in front of her eyes. She doesn't even realize it's him because she's been challenged by so much. Fear, death, loss, doubt. What do they all bring? uncertainty. She just doesn't know what's ahead. She had pledged her life to the man whose power set her free. And now he's dead. And what does she do next? Takes me to the fourth thing. Empty tomb truth number four. You are not alone in your uncertainty. When you have these moments of uncertainty, call it fear, call it doubt, Call it needing wisdom. Call it whatever you want. When you have these moments of uncertainty, you 
are not alone. Jesus is right there with us. Isn't it something that at the very peak of Mary's, Jesus is face to face with her? She didn't even realize it. We live just a real short walk from the elementary school that our kids went to. And uh, so they used to walk to school, and it was great because you could literally stand in the front window and be able to watch them get all, almost all the way to the school without even having to leave the family room, right? You could just stand there and just kind of watch. So we would do that on a regular basis. I remember the first time that our, our youngest made his first solo trip. Like, I don't remember why he usually would go with his older brother and sister, but for some reason on, on this occasion, he had to go by himself. And kindergarten, first grade, something like that. And because he had to do that by himself, he was a bad man. He didn't need those two punks anyways, right? So he gets his little backpack on. He's ready to go. He doesn't have time for us to give him any kind of pep talk. He's just, he's ready to get out the door. And he gets out the door and he just starts swaggering down the driveway. He's by himself. He's got this. I'm a dad, so I'm just standing in the window watching his every step. And I can watch him get pretty far, right down our driveway, kind of across the street, kind of down the next block that's right there. But I can only watch him get so far. Because at some point to get to the school, he's going to have to turn the corner and then cross the road and then go down the long drive that goes up to the school. And I can't see that from my window. So when he's about to the point where I can't see him anymore, I say to myself, I'm going to follow him. I'm a dad. I just want to make sure he gets there okay. So I slipped out the front door, but I don't want him to know because he's a bad man, right? I don't want him to know your dad's following you to school, little guy, you know, kind of thing. And so I decide I'll just kind of sneak. So I kind of go out the house, and I'm, just, I'm smooth and stealth like that, right? So I'm just kind of moving down the road, kind of hiding behind some things. I don't want him to see me. For the record, when a grown man sneaks up down the sidewalk on a kid, the neighbors do not, they don't take kindly to that. It's like creepy, just for the record, so don't do it. But like, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of watching him. I'm just kind of moving and seeing, and I kind of get myself in a place where I can watch, and I can see him around the corner, and I can see him cross the street, and then walk down the long walk, and then I just watch to make sure that he got into the building okay, and that everything was all right. And if he watches this online, I'm pretty sure it might be the first time he ever hears the story. Because <laughs> he didn't know. I was there the whole time. He didn't realize it. And if that's what Evan's father will do for him, what will your heavenly father do for you? Because in those moments where you have uncertainty and you have doubt and you're just not sure, please don't ever forget that even if you don't realize it, he's right there. The resurrection is a reminder that Jesus is there even when we don't realize it. Which takes us to the, the next part of our story. Let's go back. Um, you've, you've got Mary. She's at the tomb. She sees the angels. She turns around. Jesus is standing there. Verse 15, Jesus asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener. I love that. <laughs> he got off his mower for a minute to check in on her, right? You know, it's like thinking he was the gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Don't you love her drive there? She doesn't know this guy. No way does she think it's Jesus. She thinks he's the guy cutting the grass. 
She's like, look, buddy, I don't know where he is, but if you do, you better tell me and I will get him. That initiative, that drive, that focus, that opportunity, I love that. And maybe that's what you relate to in this story. Maybe it's not been talking about your past. Maybe, maybe what you relate to is not who others say you are. Maybe you're not wrestling with inadequacy or grief, or, or maybe you're not having uncertainty right now. Can I do this? Can I not do this? Maybe what you have is you see there's an opportunity in front of me, and you're filled with some initiative, some drive. Maybe you're starting a whole new season of your life right now. Maybe there's something new in your life. Whatever it might be, you're at this place where you're saying, look, I'm excited to move into this next thing. Can I give you a truth? Here's empty tomb truth number five. You have a living hope. So wherever your life is right now, whether you're in a place of uncertainty or you're in a place of opportunity, you have a living, living hope. Understand this. Mary went to the tomb thinking she'd find a dead, cold body. What she found was a risen living savior. Always know that God has opportunity he's opening up, new opportunities, bigger challenges, increased responsibility, open doors that he has in store for you. And if you'll watch for that, if you'll walk through those things, there's things he wants to do to bring blessing into your life. But you have to remember, you have a living hope. Do you know what has been one of the casualties of the last year? I think so many people have have figured out how to live defeated. And I've done that at times. You probably have too. And I've had to remind myself, we're the church of Jesus Christ. And we have hope that no one else in the world can have. And I don't want to live defeated. You know why? Because I have a living hope. Let me give you two scriptures that you might want to hold on to in your life right now. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Look at what Peter says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. You have a living hope. You have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how do I get it? Well, he gives it to you. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. You have resurrection life today because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And if it lives in you, then you have his power to live the life he's called you to. We have his blessing. Everything you need to accomplish what he's called you to do, you have because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Which takes us then to the sixth one. Let's, let's do a quick review if we can. Number one, empty tomb truth. You are not who you used to be. Number two, you are not who others say you are. Number three, you're not your grief. You're more than your grief. Number four, you're not alone in your uncertainty. Number five, you have a living hope and then the best one. <laughs> My favorite. Mary's at the tomb. She sees the angels. She doesn't care. She sees Jesus, thinks he's taking a quick break off the mower. She says, where's the body? Because if you know, I'm going to get it. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, one word, that's all we get. That's <laughs> all she gets. That's all it took. Empty tomb truth number six. You 
called by name. He knows you, loves you. How did it affect her? Go back to the full verse. John chapter 20, verse 16. Jesus said to her, Mary, and she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. She didn't just call him rabbi, which also means teacher. She used this Aramaic word Rabboni, which has this idea of closeness, of relationship, of respect. There's a warmth to it that's different because she immediately realized it's you. It's you. It's Jesus. Took one word. In that moment, there's no way that Mary could have understood what had really happened. Standing there at the empty tomb, she couldn't have realized that this whole story was about the fact that God himself came down from heaven in a human form. He was fully man, and he lived a life without sin, and yet he died a sinner's death on the cross, and that when he died, he defeated sin. He paid the price for your sins. He paid the price for my sins because he was fully man. He could do that, but he was also fully God, and on the third day, he didn't stay dead. He, He rose from the dead. And then he's alive, which means he not only conquered sin, but he defeated death. And as a result, we can have hope, and we can have life, and we can know love. We've we've called this service, this sermon, Love is Alive, because as Mary's standing there, there's no way she can understand this. The power of what Jesus did for us in in that moment. And isn't it interesting? Jesus doesn't stand there and say to her, I shall now instruct you on how many Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled through my death and resurrection. (laughs) He doesn't say to her, in this moment, let us ponder the theological ramifications of the fact that I am alive. Instead, he looks at her. He her. He gives her one word. He just says, Mary, Certain people, that when they say your name, it's more than just a word. Like it hits you with emotion and meaning. It has purpose. I got thinking about who that's been in my life. One of, the, one of the first ones that came to mind was I can remember when I was in elementary school, I used to ride the bus to school. And you'd get, I'd sit kind of near the, near the back of the bus because of the way the bus route went. I was on it for a long time. And I would sit there, and I'd have my legs kind of bunched up in those you know, scrunchy little seats. And at times, I'd want to get comfortable. So I would take my leg, and I'd just kind of extend it out. And when I would, that bus driver would go, Chad, get your foot out of the aisle. Real sweet woman, just filled with, Chad. She just, I could still hear her saying my name. Chad. Just, ugh. When my mom says my name, I feel loved. There's just something about it. Except for when she goes, Chad Steven. That's a whole different feeling. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Whole different feeling. Ron and I are high school sweethearts. I can remember one of the first times I looked, and on a piece of paper, she had written Rhonda Hart Chad. I was like, that's my name. That's my name. Still to this day, there's times she says my name, I get like a little quiver in my liver, you know? It's just kind of like, oh, it's my name. But I really thought about my grandma. Because my grandma had a name that she called just me. And in my mind, she was the only one who was allowed to call me that. Other people would try, and I hated it. I hated it. But when my grandma would call me that, 
I felt valued. I felt special. I felt treasured. Do you want to know what it was? I ain't telling you. I'm not telling you what it was, because if I tell you, we'll get out in the atrium, and you'd be like, hey, rah, 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 rah. And then I'd start to hate you, too, and then I'd have to repent, and i got to preach another one. I'm not doing it. You're not wrecking Easter for the next service. My dad had a nickname for me. And when he'd call me that, I knew I was loved. I worked for a boss that had a special name just for me. And when he called me that, I'd run through a wall for him. I got a couple of college friends. If they called me right now, I picked up the phone, didn't know it was them. They'd say one word. They'd say one word and call me by that name. I'd know exactly who it was, and I'd just be filled with joy. There's something about when your name is on certain people's lips that it has incredible power. Jesus stood there. He looked at Mary, and he just said her name. And in that instant, everything changed. He knows you by name. He not only knows you by name, but look at this, Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. But now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord who created you. O Israel, the one who formed you, says, why does he say Jacob and Israel here? Why does he use that? Because that's their names. He's calling his people by name. He's calling you, his people, by name. He says, do not be afraid, for I've ransomed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You go down a few more verses, he literally says to his people, I love you. If you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, this room, auditorium two, in the chapel. Look, and I don't know why, but I fully believe God has you here for a reason today. It's no accident that you spent Easter at Calvary in a 10 o'clock service on Sunday, April 4th. And he not only has you here to hear about the resurrection, but he has you here to hear about your resurrection about something that he wants to do in your life. And I'm so convinced that right now, that if you'll listen, you probably won't hear it with your ears, but I believe you'll hear it with your spirit, that he's calling you by name. And he's speaking to you about your past. Or he's speaking to you about how you feel insignificant. Or he wants to comfort you in your grief. He wants you to know he's with you in your uncertainty. He wants you to know that you have resurrection power, a living hope living inside of you. And it's not just because you're some peep. It's because he's calling you by name. We're going to come back and sing that song alive in us. The lyrics say, you give new life to us. You take our mourning and give joy. Now you carry, we carry a different spirit. It's your power that changes us. You took our guilt and shame. You bled so I could be found whole. 
Now we carry a different spirit. Your love is alive in us. And in these next few moments, would you do more than just sing a song? Would you thank Jesus for his resurrection? And would you listen to hear how he speaks your name to your heart today? Would you stand with me, please, in all three rooms? Father, thanks for your word. That you've called us each by name. And that your resurrection power is available to be at work in our lives. Father, thank you for the new life that you give to us. Thank you, Jesus, for the power of your resurrection. And as we sing this song, would you speak powerfully in each one of our lives? In Jesus' name, amen. You give new life to us. You take our mourning and give joy. Now we carry a different spirit. It's your power that changes us. You took our guilt and shame. You blessed so I could be found whole. Now we carry a different spirit. Your love is alive in Oh, you give new life to us. You take our mourning and give joy. Now we carry a different spirit. It's your power that changes Oh, you took our guilt and shame You bled so I could be found whole Now we carry a different spirit Oh, your love is alive in us Yes, we carry a different spirit It's your power that changes us Oh, we carry a different spirit It's the power the cross you bore the weight of sin and death you mended all our brokenness no greater love is known you left your throne above you came and paid the ransom mode on the cross your mercy flowed you lived to worship you it's the power of the cross close just two questions and this is a moment of response just between you and God if today you would say Jesus thanks for your resurrection I know that because of your death I am forgiven and because of your resurrection I have hope and I give thanks because you're my savior and my lord would you just raise your hand right where you are it's just a word of thanks to Jesus Jesus thank you for your death your resurrection your life in mine Here's, here's kind of the second question. Maybe you said, I'm not so sure I could raise my hand to that. Or maybe you said, you know, in my life, I walked in here today knowing there was something more that I needed. That I needed God to do something in my life. 
that I need that forgiveness that you talked about. I realize that Jesus died for my sins and that I can't do this on my own anymore. And I need his purpose and I need his life and I need his help. And if you'd say today, Jesus, I can't do it on my own anymore. I need you to be my savior. I need you to be my Lord. I give my life to you. If today you'd say, I need to begin or begin again a relationship with with God through Jesus Christ, would you just raise your hand right where you are and you can raise it and put it right back down. This is just between you and God. But this is a moment of just a statement. Yes, thanks. Thanks. Anybody else, you can raise your hand and put it right back down. Today, I need to begin or begin again a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Anybody else? Yeah, thank you. Thanks. Anybody else? Whether you're in this room, Auditorium 2, or the chapel, can I ask you to, to join me in this prayer if you raised your hand either one of those times? If you know you have a relationship with Jesus or you want to begin that today, would you repeat this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your son to die for my sin. I ask today that you would forgive my sin and be my savior. I give my life to you, my risen Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, look, if you prayed that prayer, especially for the first time, or if this was a moment where you recommitted your life to Christ, that's honestly the most important decision that you could ever make in your life. We'd like to help you as you move forward in this relationship with Jesus. Two things we'd ask you to do. One, there's a little sticker that's on the back of the seats in front of you that has a a little QR code that's on there. If you made a decision to follow Jesus today, maybe you just take your phone's camera and point it towards that. There's a link that'll pop up and you can just click on that. And from there, you can find out how we can get some more information your way, tell you more about being a follower of Jesus. Also, we've got friends that are in our connection center following this service. And if you prayed that prayer, or maybe you don't have a Bible that you can easily read and understand, We'd love to give you one. So if you could stop by there after the service, we would love the opportunity to meet you and to pray with you about what God is doing in your life. Once again, thanks so much for being with us today. Such a special service. Can I pray with you before we go? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thanks for the privilege of celebrating Jesus, your resurrection, and how as a result we are resurrected, how our life has changed. Lord, thanks for the truth that comes from your word. Thanks that you know each one of us and call us by name. So Lord, would you help us to live in your living hope that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead would be at life inside of each one of us. Lord, would you send us out from here with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.